Training's hard. Really, really hard. It was a Red River route over the weekend with an emphatic Texas Longhorn victory over the Oklahoma Sooners in the 118th Red River Showdown. Texas shutting out Oklahoma for the first time since 1965 in the largest margin of victory ever for Texas, 49 to nothing. And the largest win since 2005 when a quarterback named Vince Young was at Texas. Westcott, I think we both witnessed history on Saturday. Yeah, you know, it makes winning hard. Uh, when you don't have a quarterback, yep. you trust to throw the football at all. Uh, Oklahoma is certainly in that system, uh, in that situation with uh, Davis Bevel taking the snaps behind center, replacing Dylan Gabriel, who was injured against TCU the week before. Uh, Bevel, 6 of 12, 38 yards through an interception. Uh, Oklahoma spent a lot of time in the Wildcat formation, managed to throw an interception out of that as well. And uh, just a, an ugly day for Oklahoma, offensively, uh, defensively. Um, special teams uh, had a had a fake field goal that uh, kept them from scoring what might have been their only points of the game. So, uh, not a lot of positives for Oklahoma to take away from this game. Uh, certainly, many more for Texas, uh, which played complimentary football for the second straight week in a row. And uh, as you said, just uh, truly a, a, an historic win. Uh, for the Longhorns, uh, especially in a game that, um, you know, I've, I've seen a handful of, um, you know, really, really ugly, ugly games. And uh, they tended to go in favor of Oklahoma. And that wasn't the case on Saturday. Oklahoma gave up on Bevel on the second drive. I mean, they gave up quickly. One first down on that first drive, then they had to punt and then went straight to the Wildcat and really didn't allow Bevel to do too much at quarterback. Um, and their best drives came with the Wildcat, you mentioned the the missed field goal. They had a chance, or the the fake field goal, and then they had they had two chances just to go for the field goal. They had two fourth down, converted one, of course, on the fake, and then had a chance to make it. I believe it would have been a seven three ball game, right? That's right. Instead, tried to go for it. Uh, great play made by Tavondre Sweat, and then the other promising drive was the Eric Gray interception where him and the I think Malik Willis writes the tight end's name uh were the same same page at all today Barron made a great play um overall we talked about it last week that is Oklahoma really this bad and I think the answer is yes I know Dylan Gabriel probably changes that they were still probably gonna lose to TCU even if he finishes that game the way that game was going their defense was just not stopping Max Duggan but this might be the worst Oklahoma team I have ever seen in my life yeah, I think um, it would probably have to be the worst Oklahoma team going back to, to 1998, the end of the John Blake era that uh, resulted in the hire of, of Bob Soups. And, you know, really since then, Oklahoma has been a pinnacle of stability. They had, uh, you know, a little bit of a rough year in, in 2008 or 2006, I'm sorry. Um, you know, also 2014, the last time that they had a quarterback injury. But, um, you know, Bob Stoops and then the transition to Lincoln Riley went really smoothly. They've had incredible play quarterback. 
They've had a ton of playmakers on offense. They've had a lot of really good offensive lines. Uh, right now, they just they don't have players of that quality. Eric Gray is, you know, a good player. He's I don't know how health, healthy he was after he left the Oklahoma game. Um, he's certainly not Adrian Peterson. He's not DeMarco Murray. They don't have a C.D. Lamb right now. They don't have uh, a D.D. Westbrook. Uh, they don't have a, a Hollywood Brown. Um, and they don't have anybody uh, really on their offensive line. Maybe uh, Wanya Morris is, is a guy that might be draftable, but, you know, they don't they don't have a, a Creed Humphrey at center right now. And, um, you know, that lack of playmaking extends the defensive side of the ball as well. I thought they really missed uh, Billy Bowman. And, you know, one of the strange things about the game is that I think, you know, in some areas they actually played better defensively um, than they did against TCU. They didn't have any of those massive coverage busts like they did that led to those long passing touchdowns by TCU. And I thought that their run fits were generally um, a little bit better. Um, but I think Texas, you know, was a little bit more physical. Uh, they took advantage of, of Oklahoma when they uh, didn't have very sticky coverage. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think strangely enough, even with the outcome, um, I think Oklahoma did actually show a little bit of improvement on defense. Um, it, it just didn't matter to the final outcome in part because Quinn Ewers uh, played a really excellent game. And, you know, I thought Steve Sarkeesian was really able to get into rhythm with him um, and made some really nice calls as well. Yeah, on the playmaker side, in the past years, especially when I rewatched the 2021 game last year, Oklahoma, I felt like every play they had a playmaker where you were just, you know, wary of coming through and like, oh, okay, that's right. Piranha Winfrey's on this team. Oh, Nick Benito. That's where they have Stogner, a tight end, or they have Mario Williams and, of course, Caleb Williams. This year, I felt like it was Texas where every play, someone was making a play for UT on defense. Overshone, a gofu had some great plays where he literally pushed his blocker in the air, great, making him fall down. Uh, the the Sean Jamison may have had his best game in a, in a Texas uniform. Then the offensive side – Sanders, Worthy, Whittington, Bijan. Like, I feel like everyone was making plays all over the field. And in past years, I felt like it was always Oklahoma who was doing that. And the touch on your point about Sark and the game plan, I thought it was one of the best game plans he's had, one of the games he's called all season long. Yeah, there were um, there's a video uh, that came out today from um, – it was from Caviar – which is oh, coach's caviar. And he broke down some of the calls. I think, you know, one thing that Texas does really well um, under Steve Sarkeesian is that, you know, they really work the perimeter a lot uh, with what he calls, he prefers to call advantage throws, uh, you know, the RPOs, because, you know, they want to be a, a run first team and, and teams want to take away uh, the run from Bijan Robinson as, as much as possible. They understand uh, that as a baseline, if they can't stop the run, uh, that it's going to be really difficult to, to beat Texas. Uh, so they, they run a lot of, a lot of plays uh, to the perimeter. They're getting really good blocking Jordan Whittington. You know, we talked about last week, had some great blocks. Uh, Xavier worthy had a great block this spring uh, to help to get uh, Keelan Robinson, you know, up to the second level where, where, uh, you know, Whittington had a knockdown and, and had some words to say for, you know, Trey Morrison, who's a guy, uh, UNC transfer four year starter, but uh, you know, just didn't, really have enough in, in that situation against Whittington as the Oklahoma defense uh, didn't have enough all day. But, you know, even later in the game, Brendan Thompson, uh, who's listed at 5'10 and 165 pounds, came in and had a knockdown on the late Jonathan Brooks touchdown run. So, you know, one of the things that's really stood out on film uh, for Texas 
you know, dating back to the, to the UTSA game and really all season is that there's just a lot of guys who are really straining, whether it's uh, run blocking or making blocks for the, that perimeter passing game, um, you know, Whittington really leading the way, but just the whole wide receiver core, Casey Kane has, you know, had some really nice moments as well, just uh, really straining and, and, you know, improvement from guys like Worthy, but, um, you know, that's a, an added dimension of physicality uh, that really helps make a difference uh, for the type of game plans that Steve Sarkeesian likes to put together. Yeah, I think I said it on on our podcast and on uh, Chad Hastings' show that Jordan Winnington might be one of the best blockers Texas has had since Lima Swede, and, and Craig Way was quickly the text me and say, ah, you forgot about little Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay, and he makes a great point, but this is one of the best receiving groups at blocking I think Texas has had since that 2018 team and maybe even before that for a long period of time I mean the blocks that you mentioned Whittington's block on Morrison who was talking so much trash the entire game it was unbelievable and then Xavier Worthy had some great blocks in the edge overall this this Texas team is such a great blocking team it's it's beautiful to see especially against a team like Oklahoma yeah, and I mean, it even goes to the to the running back position. Roshan Johnson, mm-hmm. excellent in pass protection, had that block. Uh, who was that? Was that against UTSA? Maybe he had no. Maybe it was a West Virginia game where he he uh, had a chip block that laid somebody out before he he went out and, and ended up catching the pass. Um, so just across the board, Texas does a good job. Uh, Jatavian Sanders keeps getting better and better, you know, week to week efforts, never, you know, an issue for him. And, you know, up front as well, you know, this offensive line, you know, has, has you know, started to play much better than they did, um, you know, even in the Texas Tech game where, you know, Cole Hudson was really struggling, you know, getting beat and in, in pass rushing or, or run blocking situations. And I think, you know, the, uh, the game plan has, you know, avoided those situations like they had on, on several occasions, you know, in that, in that Texas tech game of, um, you know, not going to the wildcat formation with those big, you know, heavy personnel packages and short yardage and, you know, letting, you know, the quarterback have the, the threat of the passing game in those situations. But, you know, uh, Kelvin Banks as well had a play where um, he was blocking down the field on, on a run and, you know, the Oklahoma defensive back grabbed his face mask and, you know, Banks showed a little bit of feistiness that, you know, Sark pointed out in his press conference and, you know, he's Banks has been a guy who's been, you know, kind of a lot like Quinn yours, uh, just kind of kept his head down, been really serious, uh, worked really hard, but, you know, that was kind of a, a different side of him, you know, really uh, showing, you know, his, his physicality and uh, desire to, to dominate Oklahoma. And you know, Roshan Johnson had, you know, a couple runs. There's one where uh, Texas didn't get to the second level, um, you know, with their offensive line to, to block the, the linebacker. And so, you know, when Roshan Johnson met him in the hole, he uh, straight trucked that dude. And, yep. you know, that was uh, pretty early in the fourth, in the first quarter. And, you know, that really set the tone for Texas on both sides of the ball where they're very physical. I think on defense, uh, Jaron Thompson had, you know, one of his best games in, in the first half uh, that he's played at Texas and uh, being physical and then being able to get guys to the ground. Um, Devondre Sweat was very good, came up uh, with that goal line stop that really, you know, helped stem any possibility of, of Oklahoma momentum um, early in that game. Uh, so just, you know, a lot of guys, uh, stepping up for Texas. And, you know, I think it's really positive that they're playing better complimentary football, uh, but you're seeing improvement uh, week to week from guys. And uh, that's certainly uh, been huge on the defensive side of the ball where, 
you know, they, they weren't tested very much in coverage against Oklahoma, but were able to come up with two interceptions, only had two um, all season coming into that game. Uh, they were able to make negative plays, 11 tackles for loss in this game, even though Oklahoma uh, didn't run very many plays. Um, only 59 plays for Oklahoma in this game. So 11 of those went as tackles for loss. Um, and that's just uh, that's a really remarkable percentage for Texas. That's, you know, a full 18.6 percent of the plays run by Oklahoma uh, resulted in, in, in a tackle for loss. And, you know, when that happens and you can't throw the ball, um, it just really becomes impossible to be able to to sustain drives in the way that some of the opponents were able to do against Texas uh, from the UTSA game, um, you know, into the end of the, the West Virginia game as well. Texas forced two turnovers, uh, two interceptions in the first half, and then turnovers on downs don't count towards the turnover margin, but the two they forced, one was early in the second half, but the one on really the the, the best offensive drive Oklahoma had, I think came up at a really big time, especially when everyone knew Oklahoma was going to run on that play, and they still found a way to stop them. Tefandre Sweat with a really good play. The yards, total yards stats is ridiculous. West got 585 to 195 for Oklahoma. They ran the ball 42 times in that game, only averaged 3.7 yards per carry. And then on third downs, I think we talked about it last week. Third downs and turnovers were two big things for Texas. They've struggled on all year. It's forcing turnovers. And you brought up a stat. I think Hudson Card was three for 17 on third downs. And correct me if I'm wrong. But in this game with Quinn Ewers, Texas was nine for 12 on third downs before those final two drives. And then the turnovers, they won the turnover margin. I know it only says two to one, but the two turnovers on downs that I mentioned came up pretty big. So it's good to see, I think, Texas improving on both of those after this game. Yeah, you know, Hudson Card, um, 17 third down passing attempts, seven completions. Only three first downs converted in those okay. situations. Uh, not a not a great stat for him. Um, you know, kind of just could see. You know, there's a one third down, the third and six, uh, where Ewers had to roll left out of the pocket and and threw just a a remarkable pass Thank on the you. move to Bijan Robinson, who you know didn't come up with the catch cleanly, but was able to come up with a difficult play on that one. And so you see, uh, kind of the dynamic ability for Quinn Ewers, but ten of fifteen on on third downs for Texas, three of 15 for Oklahoma, uh, two of four on, on fourth downs, uh, those two big stops for Texas. Uh, so, you know, on those money downs, uh, Texas was really good. And um, it was um, just a, an impressive performance overall for Texas. And second straight big 12 game where it, it was, this one was probably over at halftime. There was, once I got the 21, nothing, there was no chance Oklahoma was going to score 21 points, but two games in a row where Sark's been able to at least play some second and third stringers. I mean, Charles Wright got the play. Jaden Blue got the play. Jonathan Brooks had a touchdown. Shout out Hallettsville. So overall, it's great when you play in your backups, but when it's against Oklahoma, Westcott, it it almost – I you just couldn't believe it. I was on the sideline with some former OU players, and they were, they were shocked. They couldn't believe what was going on. Yeah, it's um... – you know, the, the run that Oklahoma has had, like you kind of mentioned earlier, has just been so remarkable that, you know, 2005 was really the only time that Texas, you know, was able to, to 
you know, build and, and sustain a, a significant lead, you know, when they had multiple years where they just got run off the field in the Cotton yeah. Bowl and, you know, didn't look like they could hang with Texas from, you know, a physicality standpoint. And, um, you know, I think it's extremely concerning for Oklahoma and this coaching transition um, that they're having that, you know, they're, they're struggling so badly. And, um, you know, we're just ex extremely conservative too, really, in how, you know, they approach this game with, um, you know, staying with the Wildcat early in the second half when they were down by four touchdowns. Um, and I think it, you know, speaks to the lack of trust that they have in the quarterbacks that they have there. And so, you know, some real upgrades need to be made to that Oklahoma roster and, you know, developing or, or finding, you know, another quarterback to take over after, after Gabriel is gone, upgrading at, at running back and, and wide receiver and offensive line and just getting a lot more speed in the secondary as well. Um, but, you know, for Texas, I think, um, you know, another really positive performance from the Longhorns that, you know, I think halfway through the season, um, you know, the Texas Tech game, you know, starting to look like a little bit more of an outlier. Yep. Uh, certainly disappointing that, you know, Texas lost to a team that's now, you know, lost two consecutive games after that and, you know, replaced Donovan Smith at, at quarterback. Certainly, you know, a missed opportunity uh, for Texas in that game to, to come away with the win and be really, you know, well positioned in the Big 12. But, you know, at the same time, you know, very uh, wide open conference still. And, you know, with one loss in league play, uh, Texas still, you know, has all of their, their goals left on the table. And, um, you know, that's really going to be tested in the second half of this season because, um, you know, they've had a lot of road games so far and, you know, while picking up a, a, a win in a neutral side is, you know, significant given that it's only the second win for yeah. Steve Sarkeesian away from home um, at Texas. But, you know, the Longhorns will be heading into some hostile environments, starting with a trip to Stillwater um, in a little less than two weeks to face the Cowboys. Certainly, um, you know, look like the, the best team in the conference, but, um, you know, also one that isn't quite as, as complete as, as maybe they would like on the defensive side of the ball right now. Kind of surprised Oklahoma didn't turn to Nick Evers a little bit earlier. Uh, I didn't really get, understand the point of him being put out there for the last drive. I mean, at least if you're going to stick with the Wildcat, at least put him out there, I would say third quarter, maybe earlier than that. Um, he had one passing attempt, didn't even come close to the receiver. So maybe he's just ways away from, from being ready. Defensively for, for Texas Westcott, we talked about, you know, how bad this OU team looked offensively going in without Dylan Gabriel. And so they didn't face a big challenge offensively. I don't think from Davis Bevel in this Oklahoma offense, but where do you stand with how the Texas defense looked? Because now it's two weeks in a row where they look like a completely different team did they than they did against Texas Tech and Lubbock. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in terms of, you know, one thing that they've that they've really talked about a lot is just, uh, you know, being able to populate the football, um, you know, just having that effort level to to rally to the ball. And, you know, I think one thing that happens when, um, you know, you struggle as Texas did last year, uh, there's just not a not a high enough trust level 
um, for, for players between each other. And I think what happens is that, you know, first of all, once you're faced with adversity, it's difficult to respond to it. Uh, but second of all, second of all, once you get, you know, people who really start to freelance, um, then that just kind of ends up, you know, resulting in, in guys not being in the in the spot that they need to be in. And then, you know, everything kind of uh, starts collapsing for a defense, um, you know, at, at that point. So I think, you know, the Longhorns, just the, some of the, the culture building and the, um, you know, their comfort level in the defense, uh, the communication as well. Oklahoma is a team that, you know, really runs at, at tempo a lot of times. And so, you know, those are areas where Texas has made um, significant improvements. And I think, you know, just from the last two weeks, um, you know, with the response to the to the players only meeting with the, you know, the response to the frustrations of, of not getting turnovers and, you know, not getting opponents off the field. Uh, I think things are really, um, you know, headed in the right direction. And, um, you know, so uh, I think the big thing there, I mean, not just the success on the field, but, you know, the job security for Pete Kwiatkowski and the outlook for, um, you know, what the defense could look like under him. Um, I think are, are both very encouraging things uh, for this program under Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, we're going to Iowa State a little bit more on Wednesday, but a really good chance for another solid defensive game for Texas before traveling to Stillwater, which will be a really big game. A kickoff time has been announced 2.30, which I think is a win for Texas. Um, weird things always happen at night in Stillwater. Always thinking back to the 2018 game um, when I think it was, was it Chris Boyd suspended for the first quarter or the first half and Texas went down early quick and ended up yeah. losing by three. Devontae um, Davis was suspended too. Devontae for Davis, yeah. Half. But we'll see. Um, viewers, real quick, 21 for 31, 289 yards, four touchdowns. It feels like he's playing flag football out there, just kind of leisurely throwing the football around. And then Bijan. 145 total yards, about six yards per carry, two touchdowns. And then Javion Sanders now has five touchdowns on the year. He is three away from the tight end record set by Pat Fitzgerald in 1995 for most touchdowns. I think the rec overall record, Jordan Chipley, 13 touchdowns. I mean, Xavier Worthy was one touchdown away from tying that last year. Sanders might get there, get there this year with how dynamic he's been. And I think at one point last year, uh, during that six-game losing streak, I mean, a lot of weird things were said, but there was a point where Texas fans, and I think including myself, were thinking about, hey, why not play Sanders at defensive end if he's not going to get any looks at tight end? And uh, thank God Sark didn't listen to any of those people, including myself. Yeah, I mean, I think we've mentioned on here in the past that, you know, even Jatavian Sanders' family was having that conversation with him. And, you know, he I think he understood the what the, you know, growth trajectory for him was going to look like not having experience at that position. But, you know, once again, you know, strong game from from Sanders last week with Hudson Card. Uh, but in the two full games that, you know, Quinn Ewers has played with Jatavian Sanders, they've really shown uh, that they have a very strong connection. Um, you know, I thought that, um, you know, that throw in the second quarter where he, uh, where Ewers hit Sanders down the seam. I mean, I thought that was just, um, you know, a really beautiful throw to be able to get that over the linebacker and, and in front of that safety on time, you know, in rhythm. And, you know, really just one of those throws that, that shows the upside of Quinn Ewers. Um, you know, obviously a guy that came in as a, as a generational talent, perfect rating from 27, 24-7 uh, sports, uh, number one recruit in the country despite reclassifying. I mean, just the expectations and, and the 
pressure uh, were so significant on, on Quinn Ewers and, you know, almost only increased as, you know, Arch Manning committed because, uh, you know, Texas needed to have Ewers as that bridge to Arch as a future quarterback and really be able to win games and, and put Texas in a position to succeed, you know, once, you know, Arch likes, uh, likely takes over as a starting quarterback in, in 2024. But, you know, I thought that um, – I thought yours was had some nice moments in in the Louisiana Monroe game. I thought, you know, going through some of his progressions, I, he also left uh, some throws on the field. Um, but I think, you know, this performance in a big game uh, against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl, uh, some of the throws that he made, you know, really just illustrated his ability to turn his potential into production early, and um, you know, just his his demeanor on the field. Um, you know, so much talk. Um, you know, really for, you know, months now about how even keeled he is, how cool he is on the field. You can see that, you know, coming off the field after making that touchdown pass to Sanders, very low key about it, very calm. Um, something that, you know, Sark pointed out once again today um, in Monday's press conference. Um, but, you know, and so you combine that with uh, just a natural passing ability that he has, uh, whether he's off platform, uh, you know, if, he has time. He has more of those traditional mechanics uh, that you want to see when he's on platform. So, you know, he's not a guy who's just lazy with his footwork. Um, he'll get the ball out and, and get it on target. Um, even if he doesn't have his feet set when he has time, he'll set his feet, he'll deliver the ball. Uh, but then his coachability in game as well is something that uh, Sark really pointed out today in his press conference and, you know, his ability to come off the field and already to under understand his mistakes and, and be open to coaching. And then, you know, really taking that coaching um, and making sure that he fixes it really quickly. So uh, it's just, um, you know, monumental for Texas uh, for Quinn Ewers to be playing, you know, at the level expected of him because, um, you know, the, the stakes of having him fail, like coming in with so much talent. I mean, that uh, just really would have been devastating uh, for Steve Sarkeesian's tenure had that happened. And, you know, right now I think uh, Quinn Ewers uh, coming back from his shoulder injury um, is playing about as well as you could expect from, you know, any redshirt freshman quarterback who missed out on, on so many reps over almost two full years. It's um, it's been really remarkable to, to see what Quinn was able to do against um, Alabama before he got hurt. And then uh, coming back and, and coming into this uh, rivalry game, you know, in, in a big time atmosphere and, uh, you know, just uh, really respond to it. Would Texas be six and know if he was healthy? I think so. Yeah. I think he, I think he's for sure enough of a difference in those games over what they got from, you know, Hudson card, maybe, you know, if Hudson card hadn't been, you know, dealing with the ankle injury, maybe that's a slightly different discussion, but, you know, as things were after that ankle injury happened, I think uh, there's no question that the Texas would be undefeated if Quinn Ewers had been healthy. And yours didn't, I'm sorry, card didn't play too much in the OU game. He came out in the middle of the drive. I don't know there was an injury thing there, but I still don't think Hudson Card is even close to 100%. That could have just been Sark wanting to give Charles Wright, the Austin High product, maybe some playing time. Any other uh, takeaways before we wrap up from Saturday? Uh, not really a takeaway from Saturday, but, um, you know, something to look uh, forward to this weekend. Um, you know, Texas really just, they haven't gotten very much uh, from their wide receivers other than um, Jordan Whittington and um, and Xavier Worthy. Uh, Casey Kane, four catches for 93 yards. Tariq Milton had the one catch on, on that 
desperation drive against Texas Tech. Gabe Solser, two catches. Troy O'Meary, one catch. Jai Hall, one catch. Savion Red, uh, one catch. So, you know, the loss of Isaiah Naylor has, has been really big there. And, you know, so Texas has responded by playing more two running back sets. Uh, they've been trying to run the ball by bringing in Andre Karich, uh, playing at tight end. Um, you know, Gunnar Helm has, has gotten, you know, reasonable amount of playing time, but getting Alabama transfer tight end Jaleel Billingsley back yeah. from his six-game suspension, um, I think is going to be important for Texas. Uh, he's a guy who can really uh, fit in well in their 12 personnel package next to Detavian Sanders. He's more of a, a flex tight end, kind of a, a big bodied wide receiver, a little bit in the mold of, of little Jordan Humphrey, uh, faster than little Jordan, um, not quite as agile, doesn't have, you know, kind of that, that running back background that little Jordan did. But, um, you know, I think, you know, kind of a, a fairly close comparison there. Uh, Billingsley will, you know, flex out into the slot. Um, very good on on deep crossing routes uh, against man or zone defense. Um, you know, had some solid production at, at Alabama, almost 600 yards receiving on 35 catches and six touchdowns in his last two seasons. Um, you know, so I would expect that, you know, 12 personnel with Julio Billingsley um, in there with Jatavian Sanders uh, will be one of the better personnel groupings for Texas. I think that's going to be better than having Casey Kane um, on the field with where he's at in his um, development. I think Billingsley, you know, is just more experienced and a little bit more athletic. And, um, you know, so I think probably the, you know, the 21 personnel uh, package is probably, you know, Texas is best right now with Roshan Johnson out there or Keelan Robinson with, with Bijan Robinson. Uh, but I think Billingsley is a guy that can really take, you know, have a, a just a much more dynamic 12 personal package with two tight ends, uh, just a, a more dynamic athlete uh, than Gunnar Helm for sure. Yeah, really excited to see what Billingsley brings to this offense. Number nine, for those listening, keep an eye out on him for Saturday. Oklahoma did a good job, I think, of trying to take away the deep shots. It seemed like their game plan defensively from Venables was uh, take away the deep shots, double-team Xavier Worthy, and force Quinn Ewers to you know, make those intermediate throws, and he did. Uh, played nearly perfect. Uh, Worthy had a couple drops, um, a touchdown grab that – he ended up stepping out of bounds. Um, I think Greg McElroy made a good point in the broadcast where, if, you know, if Texas was 10 yards further back. That's an easy touchdown, but because they were so close, I think they're on the 31. Uh, it was a tough pitch and catch to make, but I think Sark's doing a good job of uh, adapting in game to what the defense is showing him, which is something that Texas had trouble with all last year. And there's various reasons for that. But I think the biggest reason overall is that Quinn Ewers is vastly talented yeah i think a little bit interesting from from oklahoma uh and their their concern about being able to stop uh those big plays over the top to xavier Ridley. that's not really how a lot of teams um have approached texas i think you know quinn ewers being in the game changes that calculation because hudson card you know struggled so much dating back to last year on those shot plays um you know xavier Ridley, I, I thought you know put some stuff on on film that um I think are, are a little bit concerning, um, you know, from the standpoint of his eventual NFL draft projection, um, he drops too many balls that hit him in the hands. 
Um, you know, had two uh, that just really went through his hands that were plays that I, I thought he really could have made. Um, and then just kind of a, a breakdown in, in, you know, situational awareness and, and body control on that play in the back of the end zone where, you know, I think you and McElroy are, are right there. That's, you know, the shot zone is kind of 40, typically about 40 yards, 45 yards or so uh, closer than that. I think, you know, they kind of ended up running the ball into that spot and instead of going um, for a shot play, you know, it might've been that um, I don't recall precisely what the context was. It might've been that, you know, viewers had had to check down on, on one or something like that, but um, you know, some stuff that I, I think uh, Xavier worthy can, can keep improving on that, um, you know, he needs to get better at if he uh, wants to be a high NFL draft pick next year. We're back Wednesday to preview the Iowa state game who, are 0-3 in conference play, 3-3 in this season. They've lost all three of their Big 12 games by seven points or less. Can't tell if they're an awful team or a good team, but defensively, the metrics love them. So we'll be back Wednesday to preview that and check out burnorangenation.com for some great content throughout the week and some great OU content from our team as well. And check out the Longhorn Republic podcast also coming out Tuesday and Thursday and like and subscribe well scott we finally got a podcast where texas beat oklahoma i know it's only our second ou podcast but we're on for two that's uh 7 12 p.m central in uh austin texas right now and um ou actually sucks actually sucks hot dog water all right west scott cheers buddy cheers Winning's hard, really, really hard.